Chapter Sixteen of the Zeitgeist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Zeitgeist by Lily Dougal. Chapter Sixteen. Anne dozed where she sat. Toyner slept again. At length they were both aware that the level light of the sun was in the room. Anne sat up, looking at the door intently. Then her eyes moved as if following someone across the room. "'What is it?' asked Toyner. Anne started up with one swift look of agonized entreaty, and then it seemed that what she had seen vanished, for she turned to Bart trembling, unable to speak at first, sobs struggling with her breath. It was father. I saw him come to the door and come in. He's dead now. What did he look like? Toyner's voice was very quiet. He looked as if he was dead, but as if he was mad, too. His body as if it was dead, and himself wild and mad and burning inside of it. She was crouching on the floor, shaken with sobs of a new and overwhelming pity. Oh, Bart, I never cared cared anything for him before, except to have him comfortable and decent. But if I thought he was going to be like that, now I think I would die to save him if I could. Would you die to save him? So would God, and you can't believe in God at all unless you know that he does what he wants to do. And God does it, dies in him, and is in him now, and he will save him. Bart's eyes were full of peace. Can't you trust God, Anne? When he is suffering so much for the love of each of us, he could make us into good machines, but he won't. Can't you begin to do what he is doing for yourself and other people? And if he suffers in your father and in you, he is glad when you are glad. Try to be glad always in his love and in the glory of it. Anne's mind reverted again to the traditions of which she knew so little. I don't want to go to heaven, she said. If father is in some place looking like he did just now. Heaven, Bart repeated the word curiously, heaven is inside you when you grow to be like God. And through all ages and worlds heaven will be to do as he does, to suffer with those that are suffering, and to die with those that are dying. But remember, Anne, too, it means to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and joy is greater than pain and heaviness. And heaven means always to be in peace and strength and delight, because it is along the line of God's will where his joy flows. Anne rose and ran out of the house. To be in the sunshine and among the wild flowers was more to her just then than any wisdom. The wave of pity that had gone over her soul had ebbed in a feeling of exhaustion. Her body wanted warmth and heat. She felt that she wanted only that. After she had sat near for an hour near the bank of the rippling stream, and all her veins were warmed through and through with the sunlight, the apparition of her father seemed like a dream. She had seen him thus once in life, and supposed him a spirit. She was ready to suppose what she had now seen to be a repetition of that last meeting, coming before she was well roused from her sleep. She took comfort because her pulses ran full and quiet once more. She thought of her love to Bart and was content. As to all that Bart had said, ah well, something she had gathered from it, 
which was a seed in her mind, lay quiet now. At length Toyner found strength to walk feebly, and sat down on the doorstep, where he could see Anne. It was his first conscious look upon this remote autumn bower, and he never forgot its joy. The eyes of men who have just arisen from the dim region that lies near death are often curiously full of unreasoning pleasure. Within himself Toyner called the place the Garden of Eden. "'If only I had not brought you here,' said Anne. "'If only I had not left the canoe untied.' For answer Bart looked around upon the trees and flowers and upon her with happy eyes that had no hint of past or future in them. Something of the secret of all peace, the eternal now, remained with him as long as the weakness of this injury remained. "'Don't fret, Anne,' with a smile. "'I'm afraid for you. You look awful ill and ought to have a doctor.' He had it in his mind to tell her that he was all right and desired only what he had, but, in the dreamy reflective mood that still held him, what he said was, "'If all the trouble in heaven and earth and hell were put together, Anne,' It would be just like clouds passing before the sun of joy. The clouds are never at an end, but each one passes and melts away. Anne, sorrow and joy are like clouds, and the sun. It is never destined that man should remain long in Eden. About noon that day Anne heard a shout from the direction of the lake outside among the dead trees. The shout was repeated yet nearer and in a minute or two she recognized the voice and heard the sound of oars splashing up the narrow channel made by the running creek. The thought of this deliverance had not occurred to her, yet when she recognized the voice it seemed to her natural enough that David Brown should have divined where his canoe might have been brought. She stood waiting while his boat came up the creek. The young athlete sprang from it, question and reproach in his handsome young face. She found no difficulty then in telling him just what she had done, and why. She felt herself suddenly freed from all that life of frequent deception which she had so long practiced. She had no desire to dupe any man now into doing any service. Something in the stress of the last days, in her new reverence for Bart, had wrought a change in the relative value she set on truth and the gain of untruth. She held up her head with a gesture of new dignity as she told David that she sought her father and found Bart. Father has half killed him and now it hurts me to see him ill. Bart is a good man. Oh, David, I tell you there is no one in the world I mind about so much as Bart. Could you take him in your boat now to the hospital at the mills? He would have done as much for you, and more, if you had got hurt in that way. So David took the man and love to the hospital at the mills. He did it willingly, if he did it ruefully. Anne went home, as she had come, in the canoe, except that she had gone out in the dead of night, and she went home in broad daylight. No one blamed Anne when they knew she had gone out to help her father. No one smiled or sneered when they found out that she had succeeded in saving Toyner's life. A few days passed, and poor Markham was found drowned in a forest pool. They brought him home and buried him decently at Fentown for his daughter's sake. Toyner lay ill for weeks in the little wooden hospital at the mills. End of chapter 16